Hello and welcome back to podcast from the edge with me, Peter Bruce. I thought we'd talk about politics today, so I've invited one of my favorite political commentators, Sam Mkokeli, to join me. A quick word about Sam. We worked together years ago at Business Day when Sam was political editor. Today he's a columnist in the Sunday Times business section, Business Times, but he's also started his own political and economic consultancy, Mkokeli Advisory, and he produces easily, but easily, the best Start Your Week weekly notes on a Monday in the country. I advise you all to listen. If you're not subscribed, I promise you, you probably don't know what's going on. And if you if you um, subscribe, you certainly don't know what's, what's going to be going on. So my advice is to subscribe, and I'll give you an address or a link at the end of the podcast. Sam, it's good to have you here on Podcast from the Edge. Um, how sorry, on a scale for you of 1 to 10, is it appropriate to feel for President Sir Ramaphosa after that pretty ghastly State of the Nation speech last week. Look, he's really in a, in, in a tough, a tough situation. Uh, a well-meaning guy who would never hit a fly in his life now has to run a, a, a government that has no skills. Uh, so the State of the Nation is a reflection of what the government has been doing, at the very least in the past year. So if the government has done its job, it should be easy to deliver a state of the nation because you've got things that it's been working on. So here he is and he's been doing these gimmicks past five, six years, uh, looking around literally on the last day. Came across you, Peter, on the day of the state of the nation address. He probably <laughs> would give you a job. If he, so the best thing is not to be available on the day of the state of the nation address. You remember uh, two years ago, uh, Siponkosi, chairman of Sasol, uh, was appointed to cut the red tape and uh, uh, all of that. And Sasol is struggling now with an existential crisis related to water rights. And then uh, Mr. Nkosi can't cut the red tape, but it just doesn't work. So it, it's a very difficult life uh, that Ramaphosa has. He moves around cutting ribbons all year and nothing really works in, in the government. And then big uh, day comes the State of the Nation address. He can only look back at the great things that were done by Mandela and Mbeki uh, in the first 14 years of our democracy. And then he can, as if they are the achievements of this administration, which they're not. So I, I got to my TV, uh, decided against my better judgment to listen to what he was saying. So when I saw the name Tinswala on social media, I had assumed that he had said something about the second most expensive hotel and restaurant in the country. Which is also called Tinswala, and it's at the bottom, which is at the bottom <laughs> of Chapman's Peak Drive, overlooking Hart Bay. Um, who who writes his speeches, Sam? Do you know? Look, it's moved around uh, in the past a uh, couple of years. Uh, when there was, uh, but five years ago, the team that was there, uh, the speech writing team, is no longer there. Uh, and now, uh, staying speed is uh, is back, and uh, um. I assume he played quite a role. It does look like a staying speech type of, type of speech. And a few ministers uh, uh, would uh, play a role. Maybe somebody like a Barbara Christie would expect them uh, to uh, to play some role in shaping uh, the speech. In the past, when you could see somebody like a, a Pravin Gordon uh, having an impact in the in the meat of the speech, not necessarily, necessarily the writing. For example, in one of the gimmicks in the past, I think 2019, the president announced that a chief restructuring officer uh, was appointed to manage the restructuring of ESCOM. I just looked at it then. I thought it's one of those moments where 
the president was at 10 years Cape Town preparing, sweating on the day of the budget. Uh, sorry, on the day of the sauna. Then he came across <laughs> Pravin Godard and said, Pravin, what can I announce? And then Pravin said, okay, maybe chief restructuring officer. That guy was appointed six months down the line. The announcement comes on the day ESCOM has to reveal a 20 billion rands net loss. Then same day, they announced that a chief restructuring officer has been appointed. He served for six months and it disappeared. ESCOM is still behind in the restructuring, yet it was in the sauna back in the... So there have been a few people uh, in the past, but this looks like a staying speed, Barbara Creasy okay. kind of speed. So just go back to this, the chief restructuring officer. Of ES- I remember it so clearly. I mean... I, mean, I I didn't think he'd ever been. Re- who, who, did he re- was, who was who was who was appointed, and who did he who did he report to, or she? Yeah, and, and Mr. Nomvalo was appointed uh, uh, to to run that office, uh, the structuring office. Uh, I, look, it's, I did work for Pravin Godan a bit later at, at DPE. Uh, when I was at DPE, Mr. Nomvalo had already done his job. Uh, he had given a report, uh, and then that's it. I don't think the report is re- really reached the the people it was meant uh, to reach. One of those reports that gets done, and it, it's never read, and nothing is ever implemented. So there was confusion as to whether uh, and Mr. Lomvalo was uh, a chief restructuring officer, or he was supposed to establish an office, a, a chief restructuring office, like the office of the public protector, yeah. uh, auditor general, also the office uh, itself. But nothing ever happened, uh, and he left. Yeah, it's a little bit transnet, and uh, today, isn't it? They're supposed to be appointing a chief network officer or something to that effect, which without whom we're all told, you know, nothing, nothing will happen. But every time I look at somebody's speech, this person still isn't been hasn't been reported. Sam, just a, another question on on the president himself. What do we know about his private office, or even his office for that matter? Does he have good people around him? Does he pay attention to what they're saying? Yeah, look, it's a tricky one. There's some people, but there's lots of vacancies um, around as well. It's probably the biggest, uh, one of the biggest presidencies we've had in a, in a while. I mean, Becky had a powerful uh, presidential office, but Cyril Ramaphosa has a, a lot of warm bodies uh, in, in the presidency. Uh, probably due to struggling struggling with the uh, bureaucracy that doesn't work as well. So he has to build his own uh, unit and uh, quasi-cabinet uh, style. So let's look at two uh, entities. One's presidential economic advisory uh, body. Uh, it's got uh, the likes of agricultural economist, uh, Wandila Sithobo, uh, Razia Khan, the economist in London, uh, Standard and Chattered, and a few others, probably say more than a dozen uh, highly regarded uh, thinkers uh, in, in in South Africa. Uh, so it's the one that uh, he kicked uh, Tabi Lioka, the economist, uh, out of uh, recently. So they meet uh, with this uh, uh, Ramaphosa directly, and sometimes with the with the ministers and the directors general. They would give an overview of the economy and how they see things in South Africa and also uh, globally, and what is to be done. Sometimes they would give uh, ideas before a state of the nation address as to what should be done. But I get the sense that they're just wasting their time, really wonderful people who mean well, and they're talking to uh, a system that really cannot take uh, advice uh, of, of that kind. And So, Sam, the, the, the state of the nation address, to the extent that it was of any interest at all, was obviously an election speech. I don't know who he was talking to, probably 
his own parliamentarians or his own party. But what did you think of it? Was there anything, anything different or interesting about it? No, it was a special speech at all, Peter. And I thought he looked back a bit too much. And it's it's not an opportunity 30 years uh, looking down in 30 years. He can look into uh, the, the past couple of years, five years of, of his government. That he goes back so far, and then the, this whole Tin Solo story shows that uh, they will do. Uh, so we had to use I mean, uh, speech gimmicks like that. They work sometimes, uh, sometimes not. It's an election year, so you think he would make a lot promises uh what uh, and he, he didn't even do it. i mean he looked around he's made it very difficult for the finance minister uh to, because he didn't do enough signaling as to what's doable uh what could he do there's a lot of competition in the government about the budget the police department wants more police uh, defense wants more money uh, what does the finance minister do? Where does he cut uh, where he needs uh, to cut? So the president didn't help at all in preparing the ground and saying this is what's going to come out of the budget. Uh, the reality is that uh, there's really no money uh, in the in the system. Uh, but when the politics is not managed, it puts the finance minister in a very uh, uncomfortable situation. So Mr. Raposa missed a moment there to play the government politics and also to campaign and talk realistically uh, to the, the population in South Africa uh, about uh, what's coming and also about the uh, the difficulties uh, that lie ahead. Uh, there's no money and there are global uh, reasons uh, for the dif- difficulties uh, in the in the economy and the, the difficult uh, the path that has to be uh, entertained by South Africans as an idea as they go into the election. He missed uh, a whole lot of things. Think- so it's almost a defensive uh, kind of uh, attitude is in. But I, we've done so much in three years and uh, give us uh, yet another chance. He's not persuading anyone about uh, what and how to vote. Does he, do you think he feels any, does he care any longer? I mean, you, you make a good point about helping the finance minister along and because the finance minister's got to keep the ship afloat, not him. Um, and he's got to do that in the budget uh, next week. So so how, uh, why, why did he not do more to prepare the ground, for, perhaps for a little bit more austerity or, you know, was it simply election? I mean, is Cyril just pure politics or does he have, you know, does he think economically? Does he think um, like a, you know, like a like a lender or like a borrower? Look, he, he doesn't have capacity to, to care that much. I mean, he's just really one person uh, in a big system and he hasn't uh, appointed uh, ministers who would think like him uh, or at least care about... Uh, his agenda, uh, whatever that is. So he needs somebody who's going to run around and, become, and be the enforcer of uh, this Ramaphoria, uh, the new dawn. So he doesn't have them. Everybody runs their own little fifth home uh, where they can in, in the government uh, system. And to an extent, they will respect him as though he signs their check. Uh, so they play around it. And he's not the kind of guy who will force them uh, to do uh, things uh, differently. So the problems are all over the show, whether it's crime, getting out of hand, it's public finance and all the, the pressures uh, around uh, that. Uh, it's the SOEs falling apart, uh, business complaining about uh, Transnet. So as really, it's a, a one-man show as a politician around the, the presidency. Okay. So he's not able to care yeah. significantly and uh, in a meaningful way. He might feel that he wants to do things for South Africa, but he's just not capable 
uh, of implementing his own wishes. Yeah. I keep hearing rumors that the minister is tired well and wants to leave. Do you, do you know any? Do you follow that? That or those whispers? Yeah, I mean it's, a, it's something I've watched uh, very closely. The finance minister, uh, after all, and across the I was asking, hey, minister, uh, are you okay? Uh, are you dying? <laughs> so he was, he would just look at me and laugh and everything. it. Somebody mentioned to me that he he doesn't spend as much time uh, uh, in his office uh, physically. Yeah. But every time I've seen him, I've seen him uh, with a laptop, with a tablet, and you would engage him on, on, on the budget. Yeah. Actually, uh, the things he, he watches is kind of detailed. I've never seen a, a finance minister follow the kind of detail uh, that he follows uh, around the budget. Uh, you could talk talk to him about a chapter in the, in the budget review. Uh, okay. He will give you input on it. Oh, that's good to you know. You could follow him on, on geopolitics. He still care oh, about that's good to uh, hear. The job. Listen, when can we expect a, uh, an election date? And when do you think it's going to be? What's your gut I thought, I thought last week was a chance to... I really expected it in the State of the Nation address. Uh, maybe the president uh, felt uh, it's, it hasn't really been done around the state of the nation. Maybe in the week after, uh, in his reply, he, look, he doesn't have much to say in his reply this week uh, to the debate. So you might come up with that uh, and announce a date. When you look at it in the political calendar, you think that uh, May 22 uh, would be uh, the date, or May 29. Uh, if it wasn't that, and they would look for a date uh, in, the, in, in August. But the election in winter is not uh, an advisable one. And also the IECs uh, wouldn't uh, advise them uh, around a date, uh, say, uh, in June, uh, July. Or even August is uh, very tricky. Yeah. So it gets cold and wet in some parts. Uh, and places like Cape Town, when it gets wet, people don't go out to vote. No, not that uh, Mr. Ramaphosa's announcement affects Cape Town uh, in law. The Cape, Western Cape can always uh, choose its own date, but they've always uh, been consistent. Uh, they followed uh, what the president does for national, uh, for cost's uh, sake. Yeah. So, oh, you so you can you're saying you can hold a presidential and a national election on different days? Yes, in in law, I mean, Mr. Ramaphosa announces only the national uh, date, and then the not just announce yeah. national date. I mean, he he makes an announcement which means nothing in the bigger scheme of things then the announcement must be promulgated. It must be done through the Gazette. Okay. Uh, it becomes a system. Then the provinces must do exactly the same process. They must follow. And then Eastern Cape could come up with their own date if they wished, okay. theoretically. Yeah. But nobody's ever done that. So talking about the election, now the polls that we're seeing, beginning to see are interesting, aren't they? I mean, the um, um, Ipsos came out late last year with uh, you know some pretty hectic numbers for the ANC. And more recently, there are polls. There was one in City Press I saw yesterday, um, calling the ANC well down. And this is this was uh, including um, polling taking account of um, controversies with the party that Jacob Zuma appears to be bringing into um, into life. Um, uh, really, you know, hammering, getting the ANC back around about forty percent, worrying, you know looking as if it might be worried or, or harder work to to stay above 40%, let alone 50%. I saw some raw data from a social research foundation poll also done in January, um, which said pretty much the same, the same thing. It's um, 
you know, they all had the ANC well done, well below 50%. And I wonder whether that's, whether that's right, you know, whether, whether we're missing something here. I mean, can the ANC really be taken out that easily now? They're interesting. They're probably right in a way, but they're not useful for the general public and people who want to make a decision in the election and how it affects their business and not. So if I was in the ANC backroom and they, I've got this, this kind of numbers, I'd be very happy at this stage uh, of, the, of the election. Oh, really? Uh, but yeah, 40% right now is very good for the ANC uh, because it can always improve. And uh, traditionally, the ANC polls very low uh, until the last month uh, of the, of the yeah. campaign. There's something they call the, the squeeze factor where it pushes itself up, squeezes the opposition, <laughs> Uh, it could easily get five percentage points. So if the number I looked at now coming out of the polls was 40%, then 45 percentage points is very good for the ANZ uh, in this uh, kind of environment. Okay. It can form a government uh, quite uh, easily. Then the, the polls, the, the, I mean, I could look at, into this election without looking at what the polls are saying. Uh, is they, they also not helpful. They, they help the people who run campaigns. Not uh, anybody yeah. else at, at this stage, but they, they don't predict uh, what will uh, happen. And all these polls, anyway, uh, besides the one you mentioned uh, about the MK factor, were done uh, yeah. last year in uh, out in the field. So in the fast-paced political environment, uh, they, they don't help you uh, figure out who's going to win, but they can influence how the narratives and the campaign messages are, are, are crafted. So a few things still have to happen. The ANC still has to cram 100,000 people into a rally and really persuade people that it's bigger, it's forceful. Uh, we still haven't seen uh, the ANC campaign out in uh, the campaign machinery out uh, in yeah. full force. So there's this interesting phenomenon in South African politics now, isn't it? You have to fill a football stadium of some kind. I see, um, uh, you know, uh, Julius Malema did it for the EFF's 10th birthday. Uh, last year at, uh, at the National Soccer Stadium. Um, it didn't seem to go so well, although it's hard to say there's a lot of division on social media about whether the stadium in Durban was full or not full for the launch of the EFF manifesto. But Julius, uh, to his credit, has made filling up a football stadium a thing in our politics. Yeah, he has. Uh, actually, I mean, outside of the ANC, and, uh, only he seems to be able uh, to uh, get a significant amount of people into a, a stadium. And I saw yeah, the, the Devon thing. I still haven't made up my mind of how uh, significant uh, it was and whether it filled up uh, the stadium to people's expectations. But KZN is an interesting province. Being able to host your event there is, uh, starting, I mean, even if you've got 20,000 people uh, in there to coming to your uh, your as a, the EFF it would be a, a big uh, affair. You can see the the, the investment uh, in, uh, in in case it ends. Yeah. So maybe that's the beginning of uh, when they, they seem to have focused a lot in terms of the province and not bringing people out from outside uh, other um, uh, provinces. And the ANC uh, and also the feeling of the rally thing it, that thing works. It also is very expensive. Uh, so you, if you watch what. Uh, Rise and Zanzi is doing instead of filling up a stadium, they blasting the posters everywhere. I mean, I was through recently. Yeah. The Klein Karu, uh, you see, uh, in places where there's no population, but you still find uh, a rise, and they 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 everywhere. Instead of uh, spending 
a couple of uh, maybe a couple of dozens or in millions uh, or 50 million rands in a, in filling up a stadium they'd rather use that in, in smart uh, advertising what, what, what's going to work better in terms of getting people to the polls Look, it's hard. We probably need a whole lot of uh, strategies. I mean, the ANC will still get its politicians out there to do rallies and uh, do door-to-door uh, campaign. It does better with that kind of uh, campaign style, better than anybody else. But it still has the benefits of incumbency. I mean, the government will uh, roll out various campaigns on the 30 years of democracy and many other things. Yeah. So uh, it will, the ANC will be all over the show. Uh, it will be on the advertising uh, billboards, it will be on the radios, and then forget to pay the people it's supposed sure. to uh, for that job. Tell, how much of a threat is the is controversies to the ANC, do you think? I mean, uh, obviously more so in Kwazulu and probably Khateng, but nationally, people are now starting to talk. You know, the City Press article yesterday was talking about 9%. Nationally, this is what polling is suggesting. That's a huge number for a, for a, you know, for a startup. Yeah, look, ten uh, percent would be great for them if they uh, of anyone, uh, and no new party has ever reached uh, that level in, in the first time, and in a short uh, space space of time. I don't know if Condo Caesar has uh, that um, uh, people who, who could vote for them uh, to get a million people to uh, to come out. I mean, a million people, depending on turnout, should get you between six and eight uh, percent of the vote. Uh, nationally, I and mean, that will be huge. It will have serious implications yeah. if, if those votes come from the ANC. And then the other issue is Guazulu uh, Natal, and the ANC is just above fifty uh, percent. So you'd expect, even if Mkondo um, Sisa took four percentage points, uh, the ANC there it pushes the ANC uh, uh, down, and it makes uh, the conversations about uh, coalitions very interesting uh, in NKZ, and maybe to an extent uh, in Gauteng, but more so. Uh, in in KZN. look the ten percent number is it is a great number if anyone can get it, but I'm doubtful. I really don't think uh, you could. Uh, you need a seismic event uh, bigger than Cope uh, pulling out of the ANC uh, to be able to to pull together a million votes in in, in just uh, under three months. You think Cyril would stay in the ANC if he had to do a deal of some sort with with Jacob Zuma? Would stay in would stay in office, not in the party. Yeah, look, I, I, I don't foresee that uh, uh, working out. You know, the way it, it, I'm looking at it is uh, Cyril needing the IFP uh, to get back to power. Uh, he gives the IFP uh, KwaZulu Natal to run, and then uh, IFP gives the ANC four or five percentage points it needs uh, to run uh, the, the national government. Or if the IFP didn't have four percentage points uh, to contribute to the ANC's need, then somebody else uh, topped uh, them up. I see uh, the need for the IFP in a party like the FF Plus, as uh, strong as it was Rise and people like that, as the easiest, the easiest route for Ramaphosa to form a, a, a government. But it's not his decision uh, first, and if it was, it wouldn't be his decision alone. Yeah. There's going to be ANC donors, the business imagine? market, yeah. the business, the financial markets. So uh, the idea of a DA and the ANC uh, becomes a sexy one. Uh, uh, for them to to form uh, a government collapse in two years, uh, but in, in short term, people will think that that would be a, a great idea to do. So the, the the DA comes into this because Cyril would have started talking, or the ANC would have started talking to the IFP. Um, the IFP is part of the multi-party charter, which is in which the DA is a member. I mean, the members of the multi-party charter, and they take this, you know, and politicians' promises are are what they are. 
but they've sworn not to do any business with the ANC. Um, uh, but obviously they would if they need, if if it if it suited them. Yeah, I mean nobody needs to uh, to own that multi charter thing, and I really just looking to uh, election day because the DA uh, a driven thing to manage something. The DA's heart is no longer there. Um, so I no, I don't, I don't see it in, uh, at all uh, right now. And they've tried so many gimmicks around the, the multi-charter. Uh, I mean, the DA first is plateaued. So it's it, for a number of reasons. Now it wants a few other people to come together. But mathematically, uh, these parties cannot give uh, you no. 40% of the vote. So you, you're wasting time. But also the, the arrogance around the DA managing smaller parties is upsetting to these uh, small uh, parties. Mm. So your FF Plus and your IFP would probably be looking for a reason, really, uh, to pull out of the thing and then they uh, do their things. And just do, uh, their, and just do their thing and be satisfied with the 2% or whatever. The, I mean, the IFP does a bit better than that, but the FF Plus isn't going to do much. Yeah, if there's a chance to, yeah, Peter, true. If there's a chance to run a government and you're the FF plus and you've got two percent, you can run a ministry, uh, whatever that ministry is. uh, Then uh, there's no point in 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 sitting around and being told by the DA what to do, who to talk to, and uh, who not to talk to. Yeah, kind of thing. So uh, come back to M for a little bit. I mean, where does this where does this spring from? Do you think it's a completely bogus sort of political invention or is there some, you know, looking at the numbers that they're polling, looking at some of the meetings they've had and some of the money that's obviously been spent, this hasn't happened in the last seven weeks since it was launched. I mean, this has obviously been something in the planning for some time. Yeah, probably something they've had in the the, the back of their minds, maybe going back as far back as the Pulugwane conference in 2011. When people yeah. start thing around, what did you if uh, Jacob Zuma loses? And even if variances in the ANC, perhaps they, they had them as a fallback uh, type of thing. But now they've got nothing to lose, really. Uh, he's been to jail and back. Uh, he's got no real standing in the ANC. And uh, they've got nothing really uh, to lose. And they just want to cause uh, havoc uh, in, the, in, the, in the political system. Very bitter about uh, Ramaphosa. So any chance uh, to block him? Uh, would be uh, the thing uh, to do. I wouldn't be surprised if the MK were working with the EFF, for example, and say, okay, let's try to build up some base uh, to do something, something uh, real in, the, in this election. But it's still very difficult uh, for them. Uh, but it's, it's it's a high stakes type election. So uh, even if it was their number was uh, 3%, 4%, uh, coming from the ANC, if it took 3% points uh, from the ANC, that would hurt the ANC. Yeah, sure. But um, what about the DA and Zuma? You know, and I mentioned this is a very speculative question, but I always felt that Helen Zilla and Jacob Zuma got on with each other rather well. Um, not politically, but the thing about Zuma, and it's it's going to be, it could potentially become a real problem as the election approaches. The thing about Zuma, or he's, you know, the most positive thing about Zuma is that he wasn't really as ideological as. Mbeki was, or Cyril likes to think he is. Um, he was a fairly sort of pragmatic guy, you know, and I mean, he was um, like he thought, I'm sure, everybody else in politics, you know, with state capture, 
maybe just thought he, you know, this was his chance to make a buck. I mean, everyone else makes money out of politics in this country. Why shouldn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a skillful uh, politician who knows how to play a game and uh, people. He seemed to have a decent uh, relationship uh, with uh, uh, Helen and also coming out of a very hostile relationship between the, uh, Tony Leon's DA, yeah. his uh, government and ANC. So uh, Zuma and uh, had uh, uh, kind of uh, interactions. But the, the other factor in how the DA chooses uh, its moves is the, the donor aspect of it. The, the level of interest from the business sector in this election is totally unprecedented. Oh, really? I've never heard of parties having to uh, give express signed commitments on the things uh, that they will do uh, with this kind of, uh, kind of detail. So it would be very difficult for Helen Zilla to move the DA in a way that is not consistent with what the donors want. Would the donors be happy with the DA that works with the Jacob Zuma? I don't uh, think so. Uh, and also there's an election, local election in two years' time. Uh, the DA is, uh, is, is plateaued and it's going to have problems in the, uh, in, in, in the West Cape mm. where it could even decline in its numbers. So it wouldn't be a very wise move for the uh, DA uh, to to move uh, to go into bed with uh, Jacob Zuma or yeah. uh, anything like that, but also even in terms of the numbers themselves, I mean the DA yeah. would probably get in the in the in the lower twenties, and if Zuma brings in ten percentage points, you, once you have that, uh, you still can't form a, a government. Yeah. Then you're leaving out Ramaphosa uh, and the EFF uh, to form a government. The donors would hate that. Yeah, just you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just remembering, sort of struck by how completely Jacob Zuma was hounded and ridiculed, you know, and business ignored him, business turned its back on him, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he's, you know, if there's any, if he's got a, if anyone has a, a case for being resentful of the elite or business elite or whatever it might be, it'd probably be in. Um, and I wonder, you know, I wonder whether there's not, I wonder whether there's not a danger in there that if, Jacob Zuma's party, whether he's in it, whether he's a candidate or not, is a different question. But if this MK party does well, it, you you could end up in a situation where business, um, the money in the country, black or white, literally has no one in this party to talk to, um, because it's already turned its back on Jacob Zuma. He's been written off. The um, Zonda Commission has written him off. He's, an, he's a, almost like a non-person, but there he is. Suddenly, he's got ten percent of the vote. I mean, how do you respond to that if you, if you're a political donor and you are trying to get things, you know, get the country uh, in the places that you want to get it? Yeah, that's a real risk and and, and a threat, uh, Peter. The same would apply to to the EFF in the way that uh, the donors have been driving. This multi-charter and, uh, and 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 uh, the DA type and uh, with the uh, the uh, the ANC, so it leaves those two parties. Really, and, uh, that will be Zuma's party and the EFF. They really thrive uh, on uh, a chaos, but it will be very hard for those guys uh, to be in government unless they do that uh, with uh, the the ANC. I mean, uh, Zuma is, would be spiteful, but I mean, he loves chaos. Uh, it wouldn't matter to him that it was uh, Cyril Ramaphosa's yeah. government uh, that let him out of jail. Uh, and uh, he's still outside of jail 
because many things uh, and his friends, the Guptas, are not being investigated and the ANC is not driving that. Yeah. He would just want uh, any any chance uh, to put Dega on Asar Ramaphosa's yeah. back and yeah. uh, destroy um, the ANC. But another thing is around it, the state capacity to manage crime and uh, violence, uh, a violent election. Uh, and uh, people like Jacob Zuma and not wishing uh, South Africa well on anything. Uh, so it becomes a, a real uh, a risk, a massive security risk uh, for the country at a very broad level, beyond just uh, the, the, the campaign uh, era. Well, my point simply is, yes, it, we understand the risk, but what do you do in the face of the risk? You know, do you, do you start talking to Jacob Zuma now or do you continue to ignore him? And hope he goes away, which it doesn't look as if he is. It's such a big thing for business, and business wouldn't know mm. what to do. They're uh, going to call you. Announcing the <laughs> of course, of course, they still know, but I know. I mean, right now, I think I mean, that question I get a lot, question a lot. Yeah. You know, uh, what should uh, people do? What should they be watching? It, it is a kind of election where everybody matters. The yeah. guy with two percent in the election uh, matters. They might just form a government. So yeah. as Zidi. Is an outlier in, in this situation. He might be often, yeah. and so is Jacob Zuma uh, in the case of what would his party do? So it, it's one of those questions where uh, somebody spreads themselves a bit thin and trying to figure out yeah. what each party uh, is, is, is all up to. So you can't write off uh, a party like uh, yeah. this uh, MK. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Sam, uh, uh, thank you very much for all of this. I want to just briefly end with a foreign policy question. There's an uh, attempt at the moment in the in the US to get uh, the American government to change its policy stance towards us. Is this something you follow this in the wake of, you know, our support for Palestine and Palestinians and our um, uh, empathy for the Russians in Ukraine and the, Iran- and the Iranians? Um, is this something you're following? I mean, is it a, is it a real threat um, uh, to our relationship with the U.S.? Yeah, Peter, the, it, it's an interesting uh, area, in a, uh, especially with the two elections in the U.S. Uh, and uh, in, in South Africa here. So in the U.S., South Africa's uh, relations with the various uh, parts of the world uh, are likely to be uh, weaponized and politicized. Uh, you, you'll see in Israel, I looked at the issue of uh, uh, people, uh, consignments of grapes from South Africa, uh, not being able to be sent, uh, they were ordered, and then the order somebody pulled back on the order because they were worried about uh, an instance uh, on, on, on the Gaza issue. So many people in the states will be looking at it as to where South Africa stands, and uh, they look at, at a few incidents: uh, the uh, the landing of the the vessel uh, in, in Cape Town, yeah. Lady R, and, and a few will speak to politicize them. Our future in Agoa will uh, look uh, a bit uh, risky yeah. uh, for the next uh, couple of years. And if there's a change in the uh, in the government in the U.S. and Trump and the Republic, uh, Republicans are back in power. So we're going to have a very nervous moment yeah. around uh, Agoa as we have. It's probably going to get worse uh, if uh, the Republicans uh, are we're hosting the G20 uh, next year, so there's, we're, we're going to get lots of eyes watching uh, what we do. And uh, the government will have to balance its moral stance on anything versus its, uh, its uh, economic mm-hmm. interests. So the argument for managing those economic interests is not coming through as uh, we're taking on uh, uh, Israel and uh, on Gaza. The U.S. and uh, the E.U., 
uh, Eurozone as well. Is, uh, that's combined, that's the biggest uh, trading partner we have. So as much as we might think that, no, it will be fine uh, with China uh, and the BRICS, uh, those get buffed when you combine our yeah. partners in Europe and the, and the US. So even if you're getting uh, new partners, you still have to look at where you are currently. There's a whole lot uh, at stake. Uh, so we're going to be very nervous. We're probably going to get a few threats uh, yeah. of uh, cancellation. And who will be there, who will be there to look after all this stuff? Because your, your newsletter reminds us this morning, or tells me, I didn't know it until I read it this morning. Lady Pandor, the foreign minister, won't be back after the election. Look, you think they would ask her to stay, uh, Peter, uh, when you're hosting uh, the G20. Uh, then you've got somebody like Nkosadamini Zuma stepping down uh, from the uh, government role in minister since 1994. Hope they don't send her uh, to, yes. to, the, to Washington with the vacancy there. Yes. It wouldn't be off-brand if the ANC there are somebody like Nkosadamini Zuma uh, to go to uh, Washington to be our oh ambassador. And the G20 gathering, we, we are chairing it or are we hosting it? Uh, both. Uh, we're chairing, uh, hosting it. And it's going to cost be in us. Su- would that be in South Africa then? Yeah, that's right. And it's going to cost we're us right. a couple of billion. <laughs> I don't know where the money's going to come from, but yeah, we're going to have a big party here. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Sam, listen, Sam and Kokeli, thank you so much for joining me today. That was great fun. And I haven't forgotten to tell you how to subscribe to the Mkokeli Advisory Weekly Newsletter out every Monday. You'll find a link at mkokeliadvisory.co.za. Couldn't be more simple. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week. Stay safe.